this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast with me amit barua your host for this episode the mafia style execution of former legislator atiq ahmed and his brother khalid azim by three assailants on the night of april 15th in prayagraj while speaking to reporters on camera has again turned the spotlight on the absence of the rule of law in uttar pradesh two days earlier on the 13th of april atiq's son asad ahmed was killed in an alleged encounter with the police in jhansi The killings come days after Uttar Pradesh Chief Minister Yogi Adityanath told the state assembly that he would smash the mafia in his state to the ground. In March this year, Atiq Ahmed wrote to the Supreme Court that he might be killed in a fake encounter with the UP police. His fears were proven correct. Both Atiq and Asad were accused in the murder of a political rival in February. Atiq, a former leader of the Samajwadi Party and the Apna Dal, had more than 100 criminal cases against him. Over 180 alleged criminals have been shot dead in so-called police encounters in the last six years that Adityanath has been the chief minister of Uttar Pradesh. So, what does the sensational execution of Atiq and his brother tell us about the state of law and order in Uttar Pradesh? Can the rule of law be restored in a state where the police has been as aggressive and as high-handed? To discuss these issues, I am joined by senior advocate Nitya Ramakrishnan. Welcome to the In Focus podcast, Nitya. Thank you, Amit. So, Nitya, please tell us what do you make of this encounter? The fact that you know they were taken at ten thirty at night for a medical checkup, and then the media was present, and this execution that we've all seen on television and on video, on Twitter, on social media, everywhere. What do you make of this encounter? Uh, well, I suppose technically they will not call it an encounter, but definitely. Yeah. It's a, sorry, it's it, it's a murder. Yeah. but technically it's a death in police custody he was in the custody of the police and a magisterial inquiry has necessarily to follow under the crpc in 2005 this amendment was brought that any death or disappearance or allegation of rape while in the custody not only of the police but any custody ordered by a magistrate maybe in a hospital or anywhere has to be immediately inquired into by a magistrate you know there is something preceding these three deaths there is the killing of the son of atiq ahmed asad in what even the up police uh, the stf calls an encounter there are detailed guidelines laid down by the supreme court saying these will have the force of law so immediately an fir had to be lodged and simultaneously there had to be a magisterial inquiry and it had to determine whether this was homicide whether this was lawful force or unlawful force the post mortem required videography i don't know whether all of this has been done that boy asad has been buried already i don't know whether all this was done so the very first step that is the killing of asad in what the police claims it was an encounter was the rule of law followed and close on its heels while in the custody of the police in what must clearly be somewhere the role of the police has to be probed even if they call it the three strange people were three distinct people all converged to shoot just two days ago somebody else has been shot down 
and just ordinary members of the public decide to shoot at uh, someone in police custody. And they were, and these men have already expressed an apprehension that they will be eliminated. In spite of that, they are taken somewhere in the open where it is easy for anybody to take a pot shot at them. Clearly, there is something very wrong somewhere. And Nidhi, what do you... I mean, both the brothers were speaking clearly, uh, you know, in whatever snatches we heard in the conversation. So... At 10.30 at night to take somebody for a medical checkup and the media is waiting there. So obviously somebody had tipped off the media about the fact that these people were being brought to the hospital. See, my point is, well, that too. But what I'm saying is first, why? Whether, see, this could have happened any time of the day. But that the media knew that they were taken at a particular Time is, of course, significant and we should know whether how they found out. But the point is, without adequate protection, how they how were they taken? Because if any member of the public could actually shoot at them, that means the police failed to take the necessary precautions to protect their person. And their person was entirely reliant upon the police. The two brothers were handcuffed. No, I was saying that the point you're making is that the UP police is responsible while these uh, persons were in their custody for whatever has happened to them. Naturally, naturally, who else is responsible? That is why the law also recognizes there is an inherent responsibility of the custodial officers. And I'm saying if two days ago when that encounter happened, instead of being fated, I read somewhere that the chief minister uh, spoke warmly and congratulatorily about the STF officers. The Supreme Court says when encounters happen, in fact, if I may just read that, no out-of-term promotions or instant gallantry rewards shall be bestowed on the officers concerned soon after the occurrence. Well, if you immediately praise them to the skies, it's a direct violation of this. And two days after, the father and uncle are killed. If the UP government had immediately taken the necessary action with regard to that encounter, set in motion a process of law which is mandated not only by the statute but by the Supreme Court. At least a message would have gone out that killings of this nature will not be permitted. And then, in, fi- in, in view of the fact that um, Atik and his brother had already gone on record to say that they went in fear of their life, one would have imagined that the police would have taken extra precautions to take them to hospital. Medical examination may or may not be needed or maybe they should have been examined where they were. Why take them out? So what what is your sense? I mean, now that, you know, we have this, uh, you know, these three uh, killings, uh, you know, uh, one in an encounter in Chasi and I find it very strange that three, according to the police, there are three strange men who decided to, at the same moment, shoot, pump bullets into these two brothers. Would they not even want custodial interrogation? The first production before the magistrate, they say judicial custody. For nothing at all, they demand police custody. So why, why do you think, that's a question which I wanted to ask you. Why did the UP police not ask for police custody of these three accused? Well, the only logical conclusion is that UP police think that they have no further information to give the UP police, which means perhaps the UP police knows more than it is admitting. If they were utterly clueless about even the possibility of these men being killed, and then and three men come and surrender, they don't even have to look around for them. Immediately out of nowhere, is there not something very bizarre about this? In a crowd, instead of trying to run away, the assailants come forward and say, we are the killers. 
and without waiting to interrogate them, ask them who said them, what happened, the UP police says, okay, go to judicial custody. Would the police not want to inquire into this homicide? It was clear homicide. So what is it, I mean, that, and also now we have this, uh, you know, a three-member commission, judicial commission apparently has been set up by the Adityanath government to inquire into, uh, you know, this killing of Atik Ahmed and his brother. Do you think that this kind of uh, commission will inspire confidence among common people? It all depends on what the terms of that commission are. But before that commission, what about the ordinary process of law with regard to Assad's Clear killing by the STF. So the killers of ST, uh, of Assad were the police. Whether they did it in self-defense or not is a question. Because it, you know, even lethal force cannot be employed merely to apprehend somebody. What was the nature of the, their injuries? Is it consistent with the story of the state police? An independent agency has to probe that. I'm linking the two only for the reason that whether the UP police has been lawful can only be understood in the whole context. The boy dies. The, the father has already exp uh, expressed apprehension about his own life. In these circumstances, one would think that a government would be extra careful instead of exposing them like this, how the press came to know, etc. And of course, legitimate questions. But why were they taken in a manner that the public could have access to them? Because they had no choice in the matter. See, they are not sometimes politicians say we don't want security. But the brothers had no choice in the matter. And why could they not have been examined medically where they were? Especially when they had repeatedly expressed apprehension about safety, to, to, danger to their lives. You will recall the case of Tulsi Ram Prajapati. Another case where the man had written to the National Human Rights Commission. Told the remanding judge. Made brought on record any number of representations showing apprehension, uh, showing his apprehension that he will be eliminated and giving material basis for that. And then he was eliminated. So what is your sense about the Supreme Court? I wanted to ask you, Nitya. Do you think the Supreme Court should have taken what Atik Ahmed and his brother were saying more seriously? I think hereafter, we will have to take every such allegation seriously because of the growing number of encountered deaths, the failure of uh, the state to resort to the law laid down on what should happen when there are custodial deaths or encountered deaths. I think in future we will have to take every one of these allegations seriously. It's of course entirely possible that people are trying to avoid a transfer, etc. Actually, I don't even know why the UP police needed to interrogate them in UP. Why could questions not be asked of them in Gujarat? There are many, many questions to this. And what is your sense, Nitya? You've been a lawyer for so many years. You know, you've defended, uh, you know, very many people in, you know, very difficult cases. And, uh, you know, you, you are known to have up, uh, upheld the rule of law. What is uh, encounters in India are not new, so-called encounters. We saw them, you know, in the 70s when uh, left-wing extremists were killed, especially in West Bengal and Andhra Pradesh. We saw a number of killings of young people. And then, of course, we had this uh, civil rights movement 
government, you know, and which led to the release of political prisoners. So it appeared that, you know, that issue had gained some traction at that time. But it now seems that our entire system has there's a complete backsliding and there is full reign, you know, to the police in different states, uh, including states uh, like Telangana, where we saw a major encounter, recent uh, so-called encounter in which the Supreme Court had appointed a commission of inquiry. So the question I want to ask you, Nitya, is what is it that can be done to curb this unbridled force that is available to the police so that such killings in custody stop? Swift adherence to what is already there. It is not as though safeguards are not there. They've been laid by, laid down by the Supreme Court in a PUCL judgment saying, as soon as there is an encounter, now I'm talking about what is an encounter. See, the other thing, Atik's killing and Ashraf's killing is where the UP police was totally unable to protect somebody in, your, in their custody. If you want somebody in your custody, then you take charge of their person. You can't just say, kisi or ne maar diya. Zimedari tumari hai. But even in encounters where at least conceptually one may say somebody, you know, man fired at the police officer, police officer killed it. Actually, first thing we must realize there's no police officer in India. In law, the police officer has no higher right of self-defense than an ordinary citizen. The right of private defense has to be tried. So when a killing happens and all these guidelines are, they're not guidelines. The Supreme Court says this is law. It has to be investigated by an independent agency. An FIR will have to be lodged. A charge sheet will have to be filed. Independently, a magisterial inquiry will have to be held. The postmortem will have to be videographed. All the entire scene will have to be preserved, fingerprinting, what has been found. If there are witnesses, they will have to be questioned. If this were to follow every encounter and swift justice were to result, then maybe there would be some abatement. Because... As is true for ordinary criminals, it is even truer for criminals in uniform that when they do something, they do it not in the ignorance of it's being wrong, but in some in internal belief that they will not be called to account for it. So, uh, Nitya, I want the other question that I want to ask you. We have, as you rightly pointed out, there are many guidelines. Uh, there are many processes that are to be followed after uh, a so-called encounter and alleged encounter. But why are these not followed? I mean, why is there no pressure on the police to follow these guidelines? I think our system has is very slack. See, it is supposed to be investigated by an independent wing of the police, which often connives at these things. Then for the family of someone who has been killed to fight a lone, wage a lone battle for justice with or without the help of human rights organizations, it is so exhausting. It has been done. Sometimes after years and years, justice does result. But the system has not internalized this. And somewhere I feel people, institutions, all of them, believe that there is a lurking relevance of extrajudicial methods to prevent crime, whereas empirically we realize that just the opposite is true. The more lawless the police, the more lawlessness there is in society. So all of these, a slackness somewhere, the willingness to believe that is perhaps necessary, otherwise criminals cannot. Look at the discourse. Criminals are never brought to justice. All criminals are let off by the courts. Therefore, this was the, this was the story in Bhagalpur. This is what the policeman said in Bhagalpur. So unless 
this we are able to internalize the basic truth that lawlessness in the system can never be an answer to lawlessness in society and indeed the contrary and swift justice follows certain justice follows i don't know whether we're going to see the end of it and the policemen who are in whose custody because 176 1a the crpc says in it, in a custody if somebody dies even if they claim it is a natural death there has to be an inquiry here it's a violent death so whether it even assuming it happened out of negligence let's assume for a minute give them the benefit of the doubt at least there is negligence at least and of course all the questions you are asking first question i ask is why take them why don't bring the doctor to them Nitya, the other thing which I want to ask you is that you know you referred to you know this belief that uh, you know extrajudicial killings are a solution. Today we see you know uh, a massive outpouring. It could be sponsored, but there are a large number of people celebrating these kinds of deaths. I mean, what does this you know tell us about our society today? Because obviously, if there is no Uh, support from civil society for the rule of law then it's a very difficult job to build up uh, this kind of uh, opinion that the rule of law must prevail that's true that is it's really it is a, therefore repeatedly 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 interlocutors must make that message take that message home that this can never never be a solution and we don't know whether how much of the support is manufactured but there is some degree of belief among people it's a court show they take criminals ko yahi tarika hai but after all the up why should we go look anywhere the up government is virtually saying it i have been informed that people who participated in protests or people are going to there were ordinary criminal cases their homes were demolished in up there are reports to that effect and then there are repeated statements by the highest functionaries that there will be bulldozers and then immediately after the encounter the police officers being commended by none less than the chief minister and the chief minister in mitti mein mila dunga what kind of expression is that main law and order launga main uh, uh, system ko strong banaunga these are not the word mitti mein mila dunga and then this happens whether he means it or not is it not does it not send a message that violence against somebody who is just supposed to be a criminal is completely kosher So, Nitya, is it is it your sense that uh, you know the UP police has a long history of uh, being accused of crimes? You know, from Meerut Malyana to the recent uh, anti CAA protests and so on. We've seen a long history, and th- there have been calls uh, for um, the disbanding of the provincial armed constabulary from time to time. So, is this you think a problem more in UP, or is this a more generalized phenomena in police forces of all states that they tend to act beyond their? Pre- I think the police is generally lawless, but recent utterances by the highest functionaries of the Uttar Pradesh administration are definitely something to which we now you know we have, we have attention is drawn. And I want to know these men who are escorting Atik and Ashraf. the policemen why has no has any action been taken against them first question is that listen if i entrust you with you know some as an official if i entrust you with some money you're going somewhere and the money is stolen say by outsiders will the administration not call you to account now two lives have been lost judicial inquiry and all is one thing what immediate action has been taken against the custodial officers 
who were at least responsible for exposing these men, whether intentionally or otherwise, we can say, you know, we can wait to learn. What message does it send to policemen anywhere that somebody can die in their custody? Somebody can be shot in their custody? And, uh, you know, the fault will be considered to be of some unnamed, unknown people or maybe even known people. But you have no personal responsibility to ensure the bodily integrity of people whom you have handcuffed and taken into your custody under coercion. Against, they're repeatedly saying that their lives are in danger. In these circumstances, I don't know, has any action been taken? I have not seen that any action has been taken against the custodial officers. And their superiors, immediate superiors, whose decision was it to take these people out? Did information leak? After all, they were not allowed to go to the burial, right? What was the reason? That it was not safe? Were they safe while being taken to the doctor? The law is there, the norms are there somewhere. We are institutional conscience and our systemic conscience does not seem to regard it as, you know, as imperative, as highly, highly urgent that there should be swift justice for uniform criminals. Well, Nitya, the point that you make, uh, if there is no institutional conscience, it's going to be very difficult to curb uh, excesses of the kind that we are seeing, especially in Uttar Pradesh. Uh, I'm really grateful that you spared the, your valuable time to speak to the Hindus in Focus podcast. And I do hope you'll give us occasion to return to you for your views on other issues. Thank you so much, Nitya, for talking to the Hindus in Focus podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amit, for talking to me. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.